Hello, listeners, and welcome to Sinister Soup. This month, as we do once a month, we will be interviewing another author. Uh, I am your co-host, Travis Vermullum. And I'm Clay Vermullum. And the author we'll be talking to today is W.D. Kilpack III, and we will be talking about his book, Crown Prince, the first novel in the New Blood trilogy. How are you doing today, Bill? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on. Um, so the first question kind of to lead into this is just to ask you simply, what inspired you to write Crown Prince? Like what brought you to put in um, a contribution novel to the ever-expanding fantasy genre? Well, I've always loved science fiction and fantasy ever since I was a kid. And it didn't used to be as cool as it is now, but, uh, <laughs> by the way. Uh, but I've always really loved that it's always spoken to me. And, uh, you know, I, I wrote my first book when I was 12. It's, you know, it, it's a 12-year-old's work, but uh, <laughs> but it was a fantasy novel. And But uh, as far as Crown Prince, uh, I had a recurring dream for months that uh, this one dream, it just really gripped me kind of thing that I would uh, wake up from in tears kind of thing. And that... I knew that I had to write something around that. And then when I was in college, I was fascinated by uh, Socrates and Socrates would go into sort of a trance-like state and mm -hmm. he called it being seized by the demon of philosophy. And he would come out mm -hmm. of that with a uh, profound, you know, kind of revelation about something. And so that is where mm -hmm. the idea that uh, the demon of sight with Nathar came mm -hmm. from and those two ideas got blended that's interesting because that was going to be my first question like uh, why did you burden your protagonists with the ability to see um, because that's a heck of a thing to like straddle Nathar with is that knowing what's going to come um, I really liked that introduction to him as a character where he's uh, he's basically forced to like lie to the to the uh, fellow soldiers because he knows he's not going to see them again. Um, and I thought that was a, a really cool way you did that and you put that burden on that character's shoulders. Um, so aside from uh, Socrates, why was it important for you to write that power into your protagonist? As part of the, uh, part of the dream was that this, this central image, which actually doesn't show up until book four, but uh in the dream, I was in that in Nathar's place, and I was watching things happen that I knew were going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so the whole one of the the traumatic and tragic aspects of the dream was was knowing these things were happening, or were going to happen, and what could I do to prevent them from happening? And that mm -hmm. really was the the core idea how do you deal with that how do you live your life and you know th there's some references in there about how uh nathar since his dad was the guardian of merrick before him basically his dad in the end ended up kind of drinking himself to death because of it mm -hmm. and so that whole idea of just crushing responsibility is fascinating to me Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely is. It, it takes really big shoulders to hold all that up. 
um, and especially to do it uh, in in like a noble way in a and maintain the good when you already know uh, what threatens the good. You know, it's right. hard to it's one thing to like stand for stand for what's right based solely on your ideals, but when you also have to like take your ideals and that's clashing with like what you know is going to come to pass, that would be a really yeah, like you said, that would be a crushing responsibility. Absolutely. Uh, I'm kind of curious as well, like, how do you build your author platform? I mean, and on top of that, like, was this always intended to be uh, a series, um, the New Blood sort of trilogy or series, or did you have it first as like a standalone novel from this idea, this dream you had, or did it kind of just play out naturally that it became a series? Well, I... Uh... It started out as, as writing, just writing a novel about it. And then when I was doing that, I was realizing that in order to get the kind of emotional impact that the dream had on me would take a lot of, of building. And, you know, when you have a dream, it's just there. You can feel it. You know it. And mm -hmm. but in, in writing a book, then it would take a lot more work to to build that foundation. And so it started out as one novel, and then I thought, well, it's, it'll be a trilogy. And then as I continued writing, then it became six books. And then as I continued writing, it became eight. And oh, wow. <laughs> uh, so all eight are written, and but the first two are, are uh, published. And uh, I just finished doing another pass through uh, book three, which is Demon Seed. And, matter of fact just a few minutes ago i was doing a little bit of uh another pass on book four which is rilari okay hmm. okay fascinating so you've been editing the entire series uh kind of as a whole work yes wow that sounds really daunting wow. <laughs> well it, on the other hand the, the one of the things i enjoy most about writing is world building Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this world, I, I don't know if you can see it or not, but at least at a base level, is, has a lot of uh, foundation in, in uh, Celtic culture and Celtic mythology. Mm -hmm. And I have other books that I've worked on that are based on other cultures. There's another series that's based on Viking culture that I've been working on. And it's fascinating to see a lot of that influence. The Viking culture had a much greater influence than I certainly ever realized. Oh yeah. I mean, they mm -hmm. were all over the world, you know, there was a, there's Viking influence in Italian architecture and Italian uh, history and all the way down through the Mediterranean. Yeah. They were everywhere. Well, even the honeymoon, that's a Viking tradition. Oh really? Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's 30 days of drinking honey wine. Uh, mm. every, you know, every day. So it's your honeyed moon from oh, one okay. cycle of the moon. That's okay. awesome. I didn't know that. Huh. Interesting. So, um, what uh, what specific like Celtic myths and stuff are you drawing on for for the new blood series? It's more in terms of some of the cultural aspects, um, but it was a something that I've read about with uh, Celtic culture is the idea of like the expression, what's new, that when people would meet up with other clans, then 
they would say what's news and there a lot of the the passing along of news and 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 even you know folklore and that sort of thing through the oral tradition you know that way that uh there's stuff that's not in book one but later there's a, a wedding rite that is based largely on uh celtic culture with hand fasting uh, mm-hmm. some things like that uh, as far as the mythology itself i I have a pretty good background in Greek mythology. And then after that, I was getting into Norse and, and then into Celtic mythology. And, and uh, more recently, I've been learning more about uh, Hungarian mythology that was inspired by uh, Stephen Bruce to look into that. He's one of my favorite authors. In addition to like Stephen Bruce, you've, you've named an author that you've read. I'm, I'm curious uh, what else you've kind of been reading this year. Like every writer has a reader, you know, uh, they always say but what what other great books have you kind of delved into lately um i basically have got i, I read a lot of stuff all the time i've got a, a pretty good library uh, basically covers mm-hmm. one wall of my office um but i of course the a lot of the the real classics are inspirational to me uh you got to start with homer every Mm-hmm. Every fantasy novel, in my opinion, is is basically a repackaging of the Iliad and the Odyssey, and mm-hmm. of course Tolkien. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy Stephen R. Donaldson, uh, Terry Brooks, okay. David Eddings. Uh, I think my senior thesis in high school for AP English uh, was writing a thesis comparing and contrasting Terry Brooks with Tolkien, <laughs> and. Mm-hmm. But I think that the new Tolkien is uh, George R. R. Martin. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of the things with his work that I really enjoy, one, is that it's they're real people. They make mm-hmm. mistakes. Mm-hmm. They, they're not mythological characters. And that's one of the things I like about realistic fiction, that they're, they're real people. And so I really enjoy that. But also, he is one of the few authors who I think really understands medieval politics mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and another author who does is melanie ron i really enjoy her work what does she write yeah i, I haven't heard of melanie ron she has a couple trilogies that are called a dragon the dragon prince trilogies the first book mm-hmm. is called dragon prince and one of the things with hers is that she writes some bad guys that you really love to hate and the thing is it's like if it's a man then he can be horrible and brutal, and then he'll have his plans for what he's going to do that's to the, the heroes. But then when things start falling apart, then his response is, well, I'm just going to kill you. And But the female bad guys don't do that. Uh, when things start to fall apart for them, their response is, I can wait. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I'm going to marry your son. Oh. <laughs> All right. And that... <laughs> Uh, that's about as evil as I can imagine. I I think. Yeah, that's pretty metal. Absolutely. Yeah, very metal. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, and George George definitely does the same thing. Um, I mean his his all his characters are extremely well polished, like so much so that uh he releases just novels and novel after novel of like background information. At this point, people are buying George Martin's outlines. You know. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was laughing at that the other day because someone was griping about like, 
I see so many Game of Thrones, like, books about the Targaryens and books about this and that. Why, why is he writing all that and he's not finishing Winds of Winter? And I'm like, well, he wrote that, dude. <laughs> he wrote that, like, six years ago. He's had that all back cataloged, you know? He's just, he's selling it because you will read it. Right. Um. But yeah, I mean, I think, uh, back to what you said about world building, that's one of the most fun things about sci-fi and fantasy. You get to create, uh, create your own world and immerse your readers into it. It's it's a really special thing to do. Mm-hmm. I, I can't agree more. I think, too, that the, um, the sort of... Uh what you've kind of talked about with realistic characters inside that fantasy world. I think it's really been bringing to the front, like how valuable the lessons from fantasy novels can be. Like, I think people are starting to pay more attention now that there are some more realistic characters to kind of delve into the classics more as well. And, and see the lessons that are being taught through these fantastical worlds. And like you say, it, it wasn't popular as it was now and I, I think I, I'm, I would go so far as to almost credit some of that more realism implemented in, in fantasy as people kind of finally looking at these books and being like, wow, I can learn so much from these, you know. I'd agree with that, that uh, it, it gives it sort of an element that's not just purely escapism. How would you, how would you describe uh, that element? It's stuff that you just, escapism is in terms of just being able to disconnect from the world and immerse yourself in this other happy place and whether you know it's you know there's no if there's no uh conflict then there's no drama which of course wouldn't that's how exciting is that mm-hmm. but uh i do really enjoy for example piers anthony's xanth novels and but they uh they're not as uh gritty they're not as realistic and they're great for escapism and, and just being able to read something and just enjoy it. But you're not going to have those same sorts of lessons. You're not going to have the same sorts, uh, at least in the ones that I've read, the first eight or so of those. Um, it's not the same sort of, of level of conflict. And mm-hmm. Piers Anthony is one of my favorites also. But it's just you you read those for a different, uh, you're looking for something different when you're reading those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I like that too because I feel like that's I think every author struggles with this a little bit but especially in the fantasy realm or the sci-fi realm where you're not writing like stories about real life quote unquote Mm -hmm. Um, people always like I think people who don't really read fantasy imagine that people who are big fantasy like advocates and uh, enthusiasts like you said it's all about escapism they think you know they're like oh yeah you're you know i get it you read that so you can forget about the normal world and i'm like not really (laughs) the normal world is very much in every good fantasy novel you know it's just in it's just also in that other side of the coin where it's like real world problems are still prevalent whether the world is made up or not you know and real-world lessons are there, too, as a result of that. I think you did a really good job of that in, in your book, actually. One of the things I enjoyed the most is, like, I love what you did with the uh, captain character when you when you killed him off in, in Chapter 2, uh, where, because you, you, like, told us he was going to die, <laughs> and then you spent, like, a whole chapter with him, like, developing him. 
and getting us to like him and showing us like his rapport with his men and every like all these reasons that we didn't want him to die and then you delivered on your promise you know and it sort of made me feel the way that like i think nathar must feel you know like knowing that it's coming but you can't help but hope that it doesn't because he's like a good character and that's like the realistic aspect of of what i've seen in your writing so far well it's very visceral very gritty and that's exactly the kind of stuff that that I, I I hope for with my readers that uh, that they have an emotional response. I want them to have that visceral response. There are uh, when I'm writing, I, I I call my wife's bedtime stories. I read to her before we go to sleep, and uh, sometimes she'll tell me that oh that. I don't think so-and-so would actually do that and that sort of thing. Cause she gets to know him really well also. But, mm. uh, one of the evil characters in the series, I just say the name and she gets angry. <laughs> and, no, you're doing something right. Yeah. And yeah, you and right. it just, it fires me up that, uh, and then, you know, then she will say something about why, why are you laughing at me? You know, or something like that, and it's like, no, I, I just love that you hate that character, and because mm-hmm. you know you're supposed to, that means I did something right, and mm-hmm. you know, and and that's another thing with realistic fan- fantasy is that people they die, you know, the life expectancy in medieval times was, you know, in your forties, right? Oh, mm-hmm. if you were old, yeah, yeah, you know? <laughs> and if you weren't a soldier, yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And yeah, that's so often not in fantasy novels, even good ones, you know, like even like Patrick Rothfuss or uh, Joe Abercrombie, like there's lots of characters that are like old and grizzled and have seen it, like, you know, it's but then you have like George Martin where it's like, yeah, Eddard Stark's dead now. What do you think about that? Because right. that's how it goes when you're in the <laughs> capital for treason. You get beheaded, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I thought that uh, you did a good job of that so far, too. That birth scene at the beginning, man, you had me, like, cringing. <laughs> that was disgusting. <laughs> why, why did you do that? Well, <laughs> well, again, uh, I... <laughs> you're having an emotional response that I really enjoy. That's why I'm laughing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the mission accomplished. Um, yeah, it was. Well, um, I I was there for the birth of five kids, and uh, you know it, it's an amazing thing that's life changing and all that. But at the same time, uh, it's horrifying in pretty much every way. That uh, <laughs> yeah, and you know that there and it it is. It's just. As amazing as childbirth is, it's also one of the most terrifying things that that I've experienced. And mm-hmm. I'm not even the person that's, you know, that's there. I'm just there feeling powerless and useless. And that uh, when my oldest child was born, some I won't go into the details, but uh, something happened that uh, <laughs> really upset me. And my dad just so happened to take a picture right when i grabbed two fistfuls of my own hair 
because mm. what had just happened just <laughs> was going to kill me. And so mm-hmm. that to me, well, first of all, the, the name of the book is Crown Prince. So starting with the birth of the Crown Prince makes sense logically. But in mm-hmm. terms of uh, getting in and, and getting real and getting visceral and getting uh, to experience it in a way that a lot of people haven't, four of my kids were delivered natural childbirth and then uh, one was an emergency C-section. So there's a real spectrum of experience that I was drawing off of there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I can tell. I mean, that's very evident. And like you said, in medieval times, it was not like today. Like, childbirth was so often lethal, right. just terrifying. And I thought that was a great job that you did there because you sort of introduced you you basically dismantled that idea that this book is just about escapism and you showed us exactly what kind of fantasy novel it was going to be right up front because you're like yeah in most fantasy stories like the perfect princess and the perfect prince they're together and all these all the uh, common people are talking about how great they are and um here's how that actually looks she dies in childbirth and it's brutal and I love uh, that you had the prince uh, blaming himself for her death, that he killed her. I've actually never really heard that in a story that I can think of, and I really like that because, yeah, I imagine that's how you would feel, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, I thought that was unique and a a good way to, like I said, dismantle the trope and show us that, like, yeah, this is going to be this kind of fantasy story. So saddle up. That's a great comment. I appreciate that. All right. Yeah, so um, Crown Prince, where can we find it, uh, Bill? It's uh, The easiest way to find it is on Amazon, and there are links to both mm-hmm. books that are right off of my uh, author website, which is www.killpack.net, and Killpack has one L, okay. and K-I-L-P-A-C-K dot net, and there's some links right there on the main page. There's other information about the books and other writing and myself, if you care, uh, those sorts of things. But that's probably the easiest way is go there and click through. Awesome. And we'll fantastic. We'll make sure and put some links in the description of this episode as well. That's awesome. So thank you very much for coming on the show, uh, Bill and everybody who's listening, please go check out the new blood. I guess it's a saga, uh, <laughs> right six 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 to eight books would be the new blood saga um crown prince the first novel available on amazon or you can find links on uh wd Kilpack's uh website um we really appreciate you coming on this has been awesome i've really enjoyed uh this is my second one of these and the experiences have been very different and i really enjoyed it we enjoyed having you bill thank you so much and we are now going to get into an excerpt from Crown Prince, so stay tuned for that. You, Niles gasped, incredulous, his voice breaking. Anyone but you. Your disappointment will not last long. Nathar struck, swords starting high, then altering course to slash almost straight down, each motion mechanical, automatic from years of training. Niles made to parry the high stroke, then followed the downstroke, partially blocking it. 
Nathar's point sliced through the edge of the captain's thigh, pushing down the metal plate that had been intended to protect it, spilling bright red on the hardwood floor. The captain's eyes widened as his legs sagged, no longer able to support his weight. Nathar's sword whipped back up, then stabbed straight towards the other's throat, efficient as a striking adder. Niles twisted at the shoulder and snatched at the blade with his free hand while he fell, his leg buckling under him. His grip on Nathar's sword blade held, his arm trembling while his skin paled. Red ran in a thick rivulet from his hand down the blood gutters on either side of the blade. Why? Niles scarcely whispered, staring up at Nathar. A tendril of bloody blonde hair peeled away from his brow and fell away. Gods have mercy on you, Guardian. Your sight is true. I hope you have read it rightly. Nathar did not so much as blink as he yanked back on the sword, and two of the blonde man's fingers fell to the floor, blood spurting into the air. At the same moment, Niles lunged forward, yelling, Valain! Nathar twisted at the waist, evading the stab meant for his heart, and sunk his own sword point into the side of the captain's neck. There was a pained cry, a woman's voice, from behind him. Niles toppled towards the ground, sword clanging as his dead fingers released it. The fresh corpse's weight pulled at the guardian's sword until he lifted the pommel, and the body thumped heavily to the hardwood. Nathar lifted his newly bloodied blade, face neutral, then he blinked, cold expression melting away as he turned. Darshell was there, back bowed forward and arms clenched protectively over the baby. A wide slash across her back ran from one shoulder blade to the other, red already rolled down from the cut in thick rivulets, brightly soaking her white shirt. Had she not turned to the side to cover the baby with her body, she and Vicari both probably would have been run through. Nathar, she said, voice weak, and stumbled forward a step. Nathar. Voices rose all around them. He was not sure if all had gone silent to watch the guardian of Merrick fight the captain of the guard to the death, or if he simply had not heard them when enveloped in the melee. Demons of chaos, he roared, catching her elbow and dragging her forward. Stupid woman! I told you you had to go. I... I tried. You did not try, he yelled, kicking the door to the kitchen so hard that it came free of its hinges. Then he understood. Two bearded men were there with bloodied axes. Two of Elaine's soldiers were there as well on their knees. Their bowed heads rose as Nathar entered and the axemen lifted their weapons. Lord Nathar! The two men gasped, seeing the blood on his sword. The relief in their voices was a physical blow. I tried, Darshell repeated, but her voice was weak. Nathar glanced at her. Her skin, normally dusky to the point of being the color of copper, was so much more pale. His emerald gaze returned to the men he had surprised. The axemen were afraid, both stepping backwards. Velaine's men were smiling despite blood soaking one sleeve and smearing half the other's face. Nathar crossed the kitchen in two steps, dragging Darshell with him, threw open the door to the cellar and was through. He bolted the door and headed down the stairs before anyone even raised a cry of alarm. He wanted to take the steps two or three at a time, but Darshell was fighting him. He wanted to take the steps two or three at a time, but Darshell was fighting him, both because she could not see and because she was weakening. He could tell by the way her resistance declined with each step. You killed him, her, them both. She finally managed, then lost her footing. She screamed, but Nathar kept her on her feet with his free hand. As if in response, he heard a cry of pain above and a wild voice calling, Nathar! That was an excerpt from Crown Prince, the first novel in the New Blood saga. 
um, by W.D. Kilpack III. And thank you all for listening. As always, I have been Travis Vermullum. I've been Clay Vermullum. And we are both still those people. See you next week on Sinister Soup.